Now we move uh, from one Chicago fan, he's a Cubs, to a Chicago White Sox fan. Uh, and he's also the uh, voice of the Weber State Wildcats for uh, football and basketball. And uh, I believe, is it two-time sportscaster of the year? Steve, am I saying that right? Two-time sportscaster of the year in the state of Utah? Well, I, I, I hate to correct you, but it is three. <laughs> <laughs> of course you would. Three-time sportscaster. Uh, you know what? I, I never hate to correct you. That's always <laughs> one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> uh, Steve Clowkey joining us here on the Full Court Press uh, uh, A great longtime sportscaster in the state of Utah uh, Wonderful voice and a good friend of mine uh, Steve, thanks for your time, greatly appreciate it Anytime for you, LJ. Hey, let me ask you, with baseball season I, Mike Trout, who is a Who just loves, eats, drinks, and sleeps baseball When he's having concerns About coming back does that kind of make you pause and be like, man, if Mike Trout's worried, this might be as serious as we think. Well, I think it is a serious situation. And in Mike's case, his wife is, I believe, four months or five months pregnant at this oh. point with their first child. So he, he's a little more sensitive, I would think, to uh, uh, you know making sure that he and everybody else around him remain safe because obviously, you know, first one's on the way. He's very excited. His wife's very excited. So I think that has a lot of weight in what his decision-making process will be. Uh, you, the, uh, I guess I have to be careful how I phrase this question, but with as far as we are into the summer, or as we're about to be into the summer, would you still try to get, what would your amount of games be to try to get a season in? Do you, do you split it in half and go 80, or do you try to get a few more in? What would your thought process be if you're in uh, the commissioner's shoes? Well, everything that I have read uh, indicates that they would go half. So an 82-game schedule, maybe that would take them into you know, October a little bit further, maybe even into November as far as uh, the Major League schedule is concerned. At what point they do they have to make a decision? I don't know, but I would have to think that it's pretty soon because they're talking about probably needing a, a, a three- to four-week uh, spring training, which more for the pitchers than I think for the position players, but uh, that length of time they need to stretch the starting pitchers out as best as possible. So I would think... Uh, uh, they would have to make a, a decision rather soon, maybe have a spring training begin in, uh, in mid-June and then get the season started around the 4th of July. So you kind of answered it, but I just want to clarify. What, how much time would a baseball player need to get ready for an 80-game season? I think, it, first of all, I think it, it's a little bit shorter because they did have half of a spring training earlier this year during the normal time. So I would think position players could be ready in in two to three weeks, but I think pitchers may be a, a little bit longer than that. Uh, it, with <laughs> so there'd be no All Star break then. Uh, no, no, there's no no All Star break. Uh, they would probably find a way to take uh, one of these series that was uh, missed early in the season and place it in that spot. You know, there's so many different uh, scenarios that I've seen so far. One would have. You know, the major leagues have, uh, had, you know, 10 teams in Arizona, 10 in Texas, 10 in uh, Florida, and, and have three leagues uh, with mixing up of a division. So, like, the White Sox and Cubs would be together, the Angels and Dodgers would be together, Yankees and Mets to be together. But I've also seen it where they would uh, still use their home ballparks and just play within the division. So the Angels, mm-hmm. for example, would only play Texas, Oakland, uh, and Seattle. With no fans being at the games, how different would a baseball game feel? I know you've been through a lot of experiences 
but no fans in a stadium at a Major League Baseball game would have to be different in so many ways and maybe something for players to get used to, correct? I would think in some cases they would, but if you play for the Miami Marlins, it would it'd be business as usual, so it wouldn't take them very long at all to get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite park you've been to? Oh, boy. It, it, uh, of, the, of the new parks that are in existence right now, my favorite is uh, PNC Park in Pittsburgh. I, I had a chance to go there two or three years ago, and it, was, uh, it, it had everything that you wanted and then some a little bit of uh, modern with a little bit of throwback. It's definitely uh, the best. Uh, I, I, as far as uh, a dome or a sliding roof, I have to go with Seattle just because, uh, you know, it's a great situation. The roof is uh, about 20 feet, I think, above the top of the stand, so you still get the same temperature as it is outside. And, and obviously having a chance to do my first major league games uh, in Seattle, so I have a, a favorite there. And as far as the, the throwbacks are concerned, uh, uh, even though it doesn't exist anymore, uh, my favorite growing up, obviously, Old Comiskey Park in Chicago. Uh, in fact, you took the question out of me, but I remember – when I was, uh, you know, over in Salt Lake and you had got the call that you'd be calling your first Major League game, can you recount that experience and, and the emotion and what that was like for you? Well, I, I knew that it was a possibility. And, uh, and one day, as I like to do, I was going for a walk along the waterfront in Tacoma and uh, Tim Mead, then the uh, vice president of communications for the Angels, now the president of the Hall of Fame, uh, uh, gave me a call and uh, and uh, said he had cleared it with everybody would you be interested in uh, in doing a three game series filling in for Terry Smith who was going to a family wedding uh for a three game series in Seattle and uh, quite frankly uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest I, I I broke down in tears it was uh, you know a, a dream come true yes I had done a couple of innings and a couple of games for the Toronto Blue Jays but the angel situation was such that you got to do the play by play for every inning of, of all three games uh, of a series and working with a, a pros pro and in, in, uh, the former major league pitcher mark langston it was uh, it was just an overwhelming experience and then getting to the ballpark that first game in seattle as usual i was there like five and a half hours before game time put my stuff down on the counter surveyed what was then known as safeco field and uh, said okay i feel comfortable this is where i belong got ready for the game, had the meeting uh, beforehand with the Mike Sosha, and uh, no nerves whatsoever. It really felt good. And then two minutes before I got on the air, Mark Gubasaw, the former Kansas City and Angels pitcher who does the analysis work on the television side for the Angels, stuck his head in the booth and gave me the uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen to Peter Graves, we're all <laughs> counting on you speech from airplane. Which cracked me up, and so that was a you know a great th- a great experience, great uh, three game series. The Angels swept, and uh, they won the first game of the second series I did that following July uh, in Baltimore. And at that point, uh, Sosha, who's somewhat of a, a superstitious guy, was uh, wondering if there was a way that they could uh, keep me up there. As a matter of fact, uh, when they lost on that Saturday in Baltimore for the first time on Sunday morning. I walked up towards him, and he goes, well, you just suffered your first loss, so uh, you're nothing special anymore. Now you're, just, now you're just one of the guys, and I said, I'll take it. Did you learn anything from the first time, I mean, in Seattle and then going to Baltimore and calling the game? Did you do anything different and say, you know what, next time I get the call, I'm going to do this different to make the broadcast better? I don't think I did other than I was always concerned, and I'll, and he always told me, don't worry about it, it's great. Uh, is getting, uh, you know, as you know, 
when I do the games, I work by myself. And so working with an analyst is a whole different ball game, and I don't want to step on his toes. I want to let the game breathe, let him do his thing. And that was the, you know, I, I thought it went well in Seattle, but it was really something I concentrated on in Baltimore. Steve Klauke, three-time Utah sportscaster of the year, joins us here on the Full Court Press. Steve, you're a Chicago guy, and I wanted to ask you, uh, as knowledgeable as you are about baseball, this Last Dance documentary, uh, have you had a chance to watch it, and what is your – were you a Bulls guy back in, when you were young, I mean, in Chicago? What was that like, or how did – I mean, were you a fan of the Bulls, yes or no, and uh, did the experience of it all? Well, first, yeah, I was definitely a fan of the team, and I can remember going to many games in which – Jerry Sloan was a player, not not just oh my way, gosh. but he coached the team in the early '80s. But uh, I, I saw him probably hundred times uh, as as a player, and so uh, I, it was fun to meet him when I first moved here in 1991. So, but no, it, I was definitely a Bulls fan, and actually working for a station in the Chicago suburbs, I would occasionally maybe six or seven times a year go into a Bulls home game and get some interviews uh, you know, after the game and what have you. And so uh, it is really interesting to see some of the early part of Michael's career on the show just because you know, I, was, I was, uh, had the opportunity to, to go there and, and see the games and talk to him after games back in those days before he was the uh, – I mean, obviously he was a star right away, but before he was the superstar and there was a, you know, 100 microphones in front of him after every game. What have you learned about the Chicago Bulls that you may not have known before uh, as you watch this documentary? Boy, that's, a, that's, another, that's another good one. I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything unusual. I mean, obviously there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody knew about that, we, uh, uh, that uh, we're learning now. I guess the biggest thing is uh, I, I, I didn't realize that uh, they were all such big cigar smokers. Because <laughs> I remember the stories about how they lit up at the then Delta Center after they won the the championship in '98, and you know the security people were telling them to try to or trying to tell them any way to to put them out that it's not oh, okay no to do way. that in the building. Oh my heck! I didn't know this story. Oh yeah, well you know their coaches, you know the 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 longtime guys that were that were smokers, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pat Riley, and those guys would at halftime have to go outside. Not like in in Sloan's days, uh, they would do it at halftime in the in the locker room. And I can remember one time I was visiting a friend in Tucson at the University of Arizona. This was 1974, and I hopped on a short flight from Tucson to Phoenix to see the Bulls play the Suns. And I can remember on the Continental Airlines flight back to Tucson, the team was on the flight because it you know back then there was no charters, and they uh, were on a Continental puddle jumper from Phoenix to Tucson, I think, to Albuquerque, and then finally to Houston for their game the next day. And I can remember back then when you people were able to smoke on the plane in certain sections that uh, you know the majority of the team were back there puffing away. <laughs> uh Steve, the first time I met you, I was just in awe. Like I, you're supposed to, you know, be professional when you meet somebody and shake their hand, look them in the eye. But I was just in awe. I was meeting Steve Klauke, the Steve Klauke. <laughs> Have you ever met someone and thought, "Oh my gosh, I'm actually sitting and having a conversation with this guy"? Probably, there's two that come to mind. One was uh, the first time that I was fortunate to win the award. I went to the ceremonies in North Carolina. And after the banquet, I got into a van, 
and then one other person got into the van before it took us back to the hotel, and that one person was Dick Enberg. Oh, my and uh, uh, he asked me what I did, and I told him, and he said, who's your manager? And I said, Phil Roof. And he told me a story right away about how he and Don Drysdale were broadcasting Angels games, and uh, they were in Milwaukee and went up to Phil and said, boy, you must be popular here because you can't even be booed. <laughs> Phil goes, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it says right here on top of the dugout, please refrain from getting on roof. <laughs> and then uh, in 98, when the Bulls played the Jazz in the finals, that was the year that uh, uh, Marv Albert was suspended for his off-the-court antics. Mm. And so Bob Costas was doing the, uh, the play-by-play uh, for NBC that year. And uh, between games one and two, I've been given a call saying, hey, uh, Bob and his group would like ten tickets to the buzz game that night. And he said, I said, sure, would, would Mr. Costas be willing to join me on the air for an inning? And they said, sure. Well, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning rolls around, and no Costas. Turns out no Costas, no group of ten. They never showed up. But in the sixth inning, my door opened to the booth, and I'm wondering, well, who's opening the door in the middle of an inning, I look over my shoulder, and it's Brent Musburger. And uh, at the inning ends, I introduce myself, and he goes, yeah, Steve, I was driving back from Park City listening to the game, so I thought I'd stop by and say hi. <laughs> and the funny thing was, I said, would you join me on the air? And he said, sure. I, <laughs> I promise that I won't tell the story. When he made the move from radio and newspaper work in Chicago to television to play up his Montana upbringing they made him wear a denim shirt and a bolo tie on the 10 o'clock news. What? Yes. What? And he laughed and he said, I didn't think anybody remembered that. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you say, hey, I remember hearing a story, and maybe I'm wrong. This has been some time ago. Didn't you meet Marv Albert later on, though, at some point? In your... Yes, I was, the, the, the uh, bees were playing in Oklahoma City. Yes. And I was having uh, breakfast with Brian Davis, who was then the uh, – Thunder's TV broadcaster, who I had known from his Chicago radio days when I was back uh, in the Midwest. And uh, at one point, uh, Marv was in the restaurant having breakfast, and he walked over to say hi to Brian, and so then Brian introduced me to him. With all these games, uh, or I guess with no baseball going on, but classic baseball games being shown on TV, have you had a chance to sit down and watch those, or are you interested in all in those? Uh, I probably would see and watch some of it. But uh, due to circumstances beyond my control, I've had to cut back my direct TV package so I don't get any sports. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not missing a ton. No, but, no. I mean, I was watching the 94, I believe it was the 94 All-Star game, and I, was, I think Cal Ripken Jr. was up to bat. And it was interesting because the at-bat, and I think it went to a full count, six or seven pitches, and took like a minute 45. And then I watched a game from 2018, and it took like three minutes and 22 seconds from a bat. That was a 2-2 count. What has done, what in the game has changed to slow it down so much that it's now three hours and 30 minutes uh, for a nine-inning game? Pitchers have become more deliberate, even though it's been proven that uh, if you work at a quicker pace, you're more, you're sharper, and you do a better job out there. But I think the the pitcher's pace has slowed. You've got uh, guys stepping out of the batter's box at the plate. They never enforce the rule that if you leave the batter's box, it's an automatic strike. I think the last time I've seen that enforced, I didn't actually see it, but heard about it. Uh, there was a game in the PCL in Albuquerque where the Albuquerque Isotopes had the bases loaded down by a run in the bottom of the ninth. The count was three and two, and the hitter stepped out of the batter's box, and the umpire called strike three on him for stepping out, and the game ended right there. What? Yes. 
Wait, so he stepped out, and then they caught, and the pitcher threw the ball anyways? He called no, strike? No, no, it's just, a, it's just oh. if you step uh, out of the batter's box uh, uh, for no apparent reason, uh, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be an automatic strike. <laughs> and that, that, for some reason, you know, that was the year they were kind of enforcing things like that. And so the poor guy who had a chance to win the game for the isotopes uh, gets a, a, a strike called on him without a pitch being thrown. Have you ever seen a brawl in person? A brawl? Yeah, for baseball. Oh, oh. I, 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 there, I had a chance to see uh, there were a few in the big leagues that I, I've seen to the point where a fan at Old Comiskey Park jumped out of the stands, which was a huge mistake because like five of the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles were holding him down and Luke Powell was just wailing the guy. His, his, uh, his uh, face looked like the uh, ground beef counter at the grocery store. Uh, there's only been one uh, bench-clearing brawl that I can remember at AAA here in Salt Lake, and I think it was it was in 2002 when the team was known as the Stingers. And uh, I know that uh, uh, it all started with, uh, not surprisingly, Carlos Zimbrano, who was on the <laughs> rehab assignment with the Iowa Cubs. And they also had a guy named Julio Zaleta. And Zambrano hit somebody, and our guy, I think, uh, hit Zaleta. He charged the mound. It was an absolute brawl to the point where one of our pitchers was tackled from behind by three Iowa Cubs because he was going to the dugout to get a bat. Uh, some of the Iowa players had taken Zuleta back to the home plate end of the dugout to try to get him to cool off, and about uh, 30 seconds later, he's racing out of the dugout at the far end. And our pitching coach, Mike Butcher, <laughs> the future at that time Angels and Diamondbacks pitching coach, had a headlock on a guy and was uh, giving him the Nolan Ryan to Robin Ventura business. And later on, the league wanted to know if we had any video of that because he could be suspended and fined quite a bit. But the only video, apparently Telemundo was there doing a feature out on the berm with our mascot at the time, and the the cameraman zeroed in off of those guys and in on the fight. But magically, that video never appeared, and so Mike was never fined or suspended. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> hey, uh, Steve Kauke, three-time sportscaster of the year here in the city of Utah, joins me here on the Full Court Press. A uh, final question for you. Uh, I know like we just talked about you meeting some legends. Uh, one of them uh, might be a mutual legend of ours, his last friend, but Craig Hislop, do you remember him? Any good or embarrassing stories we can use on air to blackmail the guy? <laughs> Actually, there there was a time when Craig was often used as a fill-in for me during the NBA playoffs because I would, you know, my baseball season would begin just before the playoffs begun, and uh, and so they needed to fill my spot. And a lot of times it was uh, Craig, but you know, Craig is so cool, calm, and collected. Uh, I don't think there's anything embarrassing about him other than his, you know, love of ice cream. Wait, you don't like I, I swear I you don't like food because we've had all these conversations about food but you do these dining and drive-in things or whatever where you go to great restaurants but I I mean you don't like ice cream you don't like ketchup I, I can't eat ice cream cuz I'm type 2 diabetic but you know you know it, it's funny that you mentioned Triple D because uh, Guy Fieri and his crew have uh, been to several Logan restaurants in the last uh, year and the episodes aired uh, in March Sabores Tandoori Oven, uh, uh, Herm's Inn was on, uh, Mamos was on, the Pie Dump over in Garland was on, and all great food. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Craig Hislop. I know you hate movies, and so you probably don't know who Robin Williams is, but I always I, thought, I like, I Robin, who Robin Williams is. I used to watch Mork and Mindy all the time. <laughs> I always, like, when I see Robin Williams, I see Craig Hislop. Am I, like, going Whoa. crazy? 
you are crazy, but I knew that a long time ago. <laughs> Steve, you're one of the absolute best. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have you on. Let's do it again soon. Great to be on with you, Ajay. All right, take care of yourself.